Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. In this episode, we discuss Ready Player One. In 2045, the planet is on the brink of chaos and collapse, but people find salvation in the Oasis, an expansive virtual reality universe created by James Halliday. When Halliday dies, he promises his immense fortune to the first person to discover a digital Easter egg that's hidden somewhere inside the Oasis. When young Wade Watts joins the contest, he finds himself becoming an unlikely hero in a reality-bending treasure hunt through a fantastical world of mystery, discovery, and danger. Ready Player One came out in 2018 directly Directed by Steven Spielberg, written by Zach Penn and Ernest Klein, who wrote the book as well, Ernest Klein. So this is an incredible film. We're so excited to talk about this. And, and you, re- you yeah. read the book, right? Yeah, I read the book. Yeah. You know, I read books. Yeah, how'd you like it? I Compared thought it was phenomenal. It's one of my favorite books I've read in the last five years. Easy. Because you told me about it, but I never read it. And oh, you never read it? I never read it. I got it. I'll let you borrow it. Thanks, man. You're so generous. <laughs> and when this movie was announced, I was like, this sounds kind of kind of like iffy. But then when Spielberg was attached to it, I'm like, well, this has to be a really great story if he's making it. And it really was. It ended up being a really fantastic film. I remember the last time we watched it, we've seen this a few times, but the last time we watched it, we put on a movie before it. And the movie ended up being so bad. The little things. Yeah, the little things that within 20 minutes, we were like, let's watch something else. Then we put Ready Player One on to kind of like wash ourselves of the horrible cinematic experience of that movie and to just take in this amazing Spielberg film. Yeah, to show like how a movie is actually made correctly. Not, I mean, if you like the little things, it's all to you. You know, you like what you like. But personally for us, it was a bit unwatchable, mostly because of the editing. But um. Yeah, welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast. This is James, and that's Anthony over there in the hey. other seat, in the other microphone. Uh, Ready Player One, you can stream it on HBO Max right now. This is a Warner Brothers film, or you can rent it on Amazon Prime. I think $3.99 is where it's cost right now. And this, this movie, for me, it's beyond fun. It's a classic Steven Spielberg adventure movie. It feels like his old blockbusters in a lot of ways. And Warner Brothers actually offered this movie to Christopher Nolan to direct. But I think for him, he's really into and focused on directing his own stories, his own scripts, plus the CGI element of this probably turned him away. He would have like vomited while making this. <laughs> he's like, how do I do this practical? All right, I'm going to have to create a real oasis. And we're going to go inside there with the camera. We're going to film everything. We're filming it in IMAX film only. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like, I can't do it, guys. Because I mean, we all know he's about to blow up an atomic bomb for Oppenheimer. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> That's not his style. But Spielberg... What what's really great about Spielberg and what you could really make the case for him being the best filmmaker of all time is like he can do anything. He can make a movie about anything, any genre, any theme. He's done it all and he's done it all really well. You know, he's made he's made some of the best movies in basically every single genre. And it's like doesn't matter what it is, he can pull it off. And I think that him just being such a talented director, like a generational talent in terms of being a filmmaker and an artist, he knows how to do something like Schindler's List and then do something like Raiders or like he was he made Schindler's List and Jurassic Park at the same time he he filmed Schindler's List and then while he was editing Schindler's List he was making Jurassic Park it was back-to-back productions like who can do that with such completely different kinds of films this, two top hundred movies of all time easily. exactly but completely different genres completely different ideas and themes and once again Ready Player One is another example of that where he had done Bridge of Spies and then he does Ready Player One the year after, and it's like they couldn't be more different from one another, and they're both amazing movies. Yeah, and I know he said in an interview that Ready Player One was one of the most difficult films he's ever made in his life, and I think once you read the book, and I'm sure anyone listening who, ha- who who's listening has read the book, 
it's dense. It's complicated. There's so much, obviously, that they had to cut out from the story in the book. And, you know, they don't really t- touch on in the film too much because it's only two fifteen, two and a half hour movie that they got to fit this book in. It's pretty long. It's, it's an awesome read, too, as well. And especially if you get the pop culture references, because I think if there's a con to this movie, it might be if you don't get the references that are going on throughout the film, throughout the book, maybe it's not as great of an experience to you, but it still is a lot of fun, I think. I feel like this movie is perfect for people who are right now the age, around the ages of 30 to 40 years old. I think 20 to 45, 50 will get it. If you're, tw- if, I mean, I'm, with young people, I'm not sure they would get all of the references that are in there. Yeah. There are a lot of 90s and 80s references. Yeah. Like there are Thundercats in this movie, you know what I mean? So I think that the sweet spot is like our family. Like we're mm-hmm. the youngest of the of the six boys. But we have older brothers, and so we know yeah, 80s pop culture. Yeah, our oldest brother is 40, so it's perfect. We're I think that's the perfect um, spread of ages to enjoy this film and get all the Easter eggs and get the feeling and nostalgia that Spielberg, Spielberg was trying to throw in there. And what I also love is that Spielberg threw Easter eggs of his own things into it, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? But in a fun way. He wasn't like showing off, but like there's a few Easter eggs of his own movies that I think are kind of like you have to throw them in because he helped define film for so long so you have to throw some spielberg references well in. if you think about it in terms of pop culture who's a better director to make this film than someone who's contributed probably the most to pop culture when it comes to filmmaking with steven mm-hmm. spielberg i mean his movies have been so huge with pop culture maybe not right now but in the 80s and 90s he his movies were so popular et i mean indiana jones and even the movies he's produced like the goonies and gremlins everything he's like he's touched so many things that have been so popular in our so culture. Many hearts. <laughs> for real and he's a jedi master of directing directing and i think that if you watch just the opening shot and sequence of this film there's like two or three shots that's all it is he tells you everything you need to know about this world about wade watts how he lives in this slum the entire our planet seems to be like this for the most part. He's incredibly poor. And also everyone's addicted to this VR game. But he doesn't do it by telling you. He does it by showing you while Parcival, while Ty Sheridan's character, Z, whichever name you want to call him in the film, Wade Watts, he's just going down his slum structure. And it's just these long takes of all these peering into people's homes and trailers and seeing what they're doing and with a little voiceover. But it's like five lines of dialogue for a couple of minutes and we know everything we need to know. He, he's, it's more showing than telling. And yeah. that's what great directing is. He, he he understands the importance of you show you show the action rather than someone just telling the information and the audience absorbs it better. And it's much more aesthetically like pleasing to the eye to actually visualize. You can say, yeah, everyone's on this VR Oasis platform, but to show all of his neighbors in their own little trailers playing different games in the Oasis, that really wakes us up to not just the VR world, but the world of the real world as well. And he, how he treats this, his audience members like they're intelligent. Yeah, exactly. He doesn't spoon feed them information, which is so great. And what's really different about this Spielberg movie from, I think, all other Spielberg movies, I'm trying to think of another movie of his that does this, but a lot of the music is soundtrack music, like from songs, like pop songs, rock well, songs. Well, he opens up with Jump yeah. by Van Halen, which is yeah. the perfect song to open this movie to. Exactly, but most of his movies, I, I can't think of movies that aren't scored by either John Williams or um, Alan Silvestri did another one, of, did a score that well, John, he did, Silvestri John, did this one, right? Yeah, he did this one as well, and he also did Bridge of Spies, but 
still is, there's more pop culture music in it than any other Spielberg film I can think of. Yeah, it ended up being right. like a like an Edgar Wright movie to me, and I thought that was really refreshing to see a Spielberg movie with so much like regular music in it. Yeah, and honestly, when you read the book, which I can't wait for you to check it out, you'll be surprised and shocked how he was able to adapt this film, just in, this book, just into one movie and consolidate everything pretty much that you need to know from the book. But before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost Podcast is to become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Will you get where you'll get awesome perks like podcast schedules, personalized videos, Patreon shoutouts for top tiers, and all patrons have access to our weekly bonus episodes which post every Wednesday. We will also be launching a new podcast masterclass online this month in November. So for anyone who wants to start a podcast or wants to improve their current podcast, our 22-chapter course will give you all of our secrets behind the scenes. Basically, we're Gordon Ramsay, and it's like his cooking masterclass. You're going to learn all of our secrets, everything we've learned. And now head on over to our website, RaidersOfLostPodcast.com, to see all of our content, our merch, our movie posters, our new beanies just came out for the holiday season to get the, your hands on those. They're pretty cool. Follow, subscribe, wherever you're listening, and thank you so much for tuning in around the world. And also, very big news today... Is James's first day. Oh yeah, you're right. After quitting his job, yeah, I'm free man today. Your last day of work at your old nine to five job was yesterday. How's eight it feel? Eight to four thirty. Um, it feels amazing. Yeah. It's pretty surreal. It's only possible because of the amazing people around the world who listen to us every day. So thank you so much, everyone who has become a patron. Everyone who uses our coupon codes. That's really how we pay the bills around here now. So you, we work for you all, which is pretty cool. So yeah. if you have any requests. Let us know, and please, if if there's any problems, contact HR. We don't want any issues going on. <laughs> you did it, man. We Proud did it. You. We made it. It still doesn't mean we're going to take our foot of the gas. We just got to push down harder. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, big time. All right, now let's get back into Ready Player One. And what I love about this film is how accurate it seems to have been in terms of predicting the future. And in terms of futuristic movies and sci-fi films, you know, so many are just like a little over the top and are completely wrong about you know, what future life will be like in terms of the advancement of technologies and, you know, how people live, interact, and lifestyles as well. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But no flying cars yet. Yeah, no flying cars. Whereas like someone like Kubrick, he friggin' put iPads in his movie 2001 Space Odyssey, which is crazy. Like, that's unbelievable. But in this film... There's so much that seems like it's happening in terms of, first of all, just the idea of a VR world and virtual reality is a relatively new technology that has been kind of flying under the radar in terms of the mainstream. I think everyone is aware of it, but I don't think most people are aware of the power of its potential and how it's very possible and very likely that within around 30 to 40 years, maybe even less, you will see a society, Western civilization's uh, affluent societies, they may be living in a world like this film where uh, most of the population are interacting, living, um, using all their free time and even working and even making a living in this virtual reality. Yeah, so the thing with this film, I think it does an excellent job, like you said, predicting the future with VR. But also another film that we've talked about a ton of times on the podcast is Blade Runner 2049. I think they've done a good job with predicting future with 
modern technology where it's heading not with like the um the androids or or replicants replicants not with flying cars or anything like that but i think with the augmented reality aspect of that oh joy joy, yeah the characters augmented reality so i think vr and ar whether people know it or not and especially i think people are starting to realize it with facebook launching meta now becoming meta with their metaverse in the works we're seeing vr and ar are going to be huge in your life and augmented reality isn't quite vr vr is when you actually have the headset on you're like living in another space it's like a different dimension but augmented reality is things that are changed in your usual perception so like it's happening with cars on like front on onboard displays with augmented reality on like windshields or in like you can get glasses or in motorcycle helmets that have augmented reality functioning for like how fast you're going like the the road ahead of yeah, you. Yeah, there will be like this, and this is gonna be relatively soon. You're gonna it's have, happening now. You're gonna have access to in car windshields and glasses where say like I'm walking and I put on Google Maps or something and I'm I'm I don't have to look at my phone for where to turn. The augmented reality will in the distance will put an a-, a digital arrow where through the obviously I'm looking through the lens of the augmented reality it will put like an arrow on like a street corner pointing to the right yeah, saying I already have that's my next turn it's already happening yeah and that's going to everyone's going to have that very soon I think people are going to be surprised how quickly that will come yeah but I think with right now especially the week that Meta was announced we didn't even plan that we re- we planned to do Ready Player 1 like a couple weeks it's ago heavily requested and I yeah. I was talking to you about the VR stuff and with what Facebook was doing and how they're kind of leading the the world in terms of that kind of technology about not VR technology but creating a a metaverse or like a universe yeah. for you to go inside with the VR world that's connected to globally and the immense potential with that so they're obviously the f- the forerunner company with running that kind of world and so and then uh, ironically a week a week ago they announced that so mm-hmm. we didn't even time it. it just happened to be with ready player one so now we're about to be living sort of in a ready player one world and what what's that going to mean and will we end up like wade watts world probably not that bad but i think that in terms of people being addicted to vr and being on it all day i think that'll happen yeah and I think, I mean, this is 30, not at 30 years in the future, 25. 20, 25 years in the future. So, I mean, things can get worse physically in the world. I doubt it'll be on the scale where there are going to be like slums in Columbus, slums Ohio. in Ohio of trailers on top of each other, obviously. That's possibility, but maybe in like 80 years or 100 years, but not within 25 years for sure. But I think that definitely, um, you know, in terms of, you know, climate and how the world is changing and, you know, Things are a little testy, especially with country to country. So you can look at maybe you don't know what could happen in 20 years in terms of like what the landscape of the world will look like. Or what the wealth cap yeah. could, wealth gap could look like. Exactly. So the middle class could be eradicated. You yeah. never know. So that could that is unpredictable. So you could be seeing a lot of people, even in a country like this, living in slum like conditions, like in a country like India, where major po- populations are living in extreme poverty. So you can never write that out officially. Because we never know what will, what will happen in 20 years, so it could become a reality where people, where the re- real world is so devastatingly bad and harsh and difficult to live in that people will use something like an oasis, like VR world, to escape that every day. It's just like Inception; they come here to they come here to dream. Yeah, exactly. So maybe your life will be so tough that, like Wade Watts and all these people, that you have to escape into a VR world. Yeah, and I, what I what I really love about the message of the film is uh, ultimately the message is to cherish the reality that we have like the real world like how they at the end of the film when they say that tuesdays and thursdays are yeah, sorry spoiler alerts if you haven't <laughs> yeah. watched the movie yet you might want to stop now and <laughs> they then say, come back and watch it they say that the oasis is closed on tuesdays and thursdays so that you can actually get out in the real world and i think that's an important thing to to think of when considering 
VR because one thing, the biggest problem that VR poses on people is increased isolation. And, you know, we're social animals. And so and we've been isolated for so long yeah, in the last year and a half. Exactly. But VR will pe make people voluntarily want to isolate from everything. It could be a perfect storm with COVID than the VR metaverse coming out right now that yeah. people are like used to being alone now. Exactly. But this will even isolate you from like the people in your family in the same house. You know, that, and that's a problem, I think. And it can be an addictive thing, like in, like how these people in this movie are on this all the time, all their free time. So it can be a problem in terms of, you know, mental health, I think for sure. And also in terms of the social landscape from people to people, and it could cause even more division because if we're not spending time with other people and communicating with other people, it will divide others. So I think that uh, voluntary isolation is the biggest danger when it comes to um, VR. Yeah, I think one of my favorite lines in the film is at the end when Halliday finally gives um, yeah, the Wade, egg. Wade the egg after he passes the second final test and you know he knows he's cool. Um, he tells <laughs> him, <laughs> you're cool. He tells him... He tells him two things. He says that reality is the only thing that's real. And also he says, it's the only place you can get a good meal, you know, <laughs> but that's a, his way of saying because James Halley seems to like, maybe he lives on the spectrum, but his IQ yeah. is probably like 250. It's absurd. This pro the way that this character probably thinks in his mind, but his way that him saying that it's the only place you can get a decent meal is a very simple way to say that. It's the only thing that's real, basically. That's that's what he's saying. Like, to get a decent meal, that's the only th way to experience life is in the real world. And my favorite part about that scene is that when Wade gets there and he earns the egg, and Holiday, Holiday is, like, looking in his room for the egg. Like, he can't the remember egg. where he oh, put yeah, it. The egg. He's like, where is it? Where is the egg? Like, it, it's, he struggles to find it. And then when he eventually finds it, he gives it to Wade. But, like, that's the perfect metaphor for Holiday viewing it as, like, it never really was about the egg. And the the metaverse doesn't really matter. What ma that's how unimportant it is to him, and I think he wants to other people to realize that. And Wade realizes that I think by the end, because here is this big egg, this egg that the entire world has been trying to find this thing, and then Halliday is like, "Where did I put it? Where, where is it again?" <laughs> so I think it's a it's a great moment of the film for sure, and and really hammers home that theme and idea. Hammer it home. Um, <laughs> How about we get into some characters? But actually, first, I want to talk about my favorite, some of my favorite pieces of pop culture in this movie, mm. because it's full of it. And the book has even more. But um, I think my favorites would probably be the T-Rex from Jurassic Park, obviously. Mm -hmm. King Kong is awesome. Um, the alien chest burster, which Artemis does to, to scare uh, Parsifal Wait, yeah. with. Um, and I think that this went over my head the first few times I watched it, but I watched it last week to refresh. There's a very subtle Dune reference in this. Obviously, everyone's shaking their head like, of course, he had to bring up Dune again. <laughs> but there's a, there's a Dune reference when they're in H's um, garage when Ari goes there for the first time with Z. And he's showing her all of the models that H has. Like, oh, here's this. And then and then he's like, oh, where's the uh, the Harkonnen dropship? That thing is awesome. It gets you from point A to point B in the in the in the oasis in a second. So I just wanted to, I had to get my Dune reference in for the day. <laughs> I made a I made a list of my favorites. It's not all of them, but it's most of them. So I'm gonna read them speed speed read them. Actually, can we do something else? Just kidding. I'm going. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, listen to me. Well, the okay. DeLorean too, obviously. Yeah, the DeLorean. So, Iron Giant, Batman, Joker, Freddy Krueger, The Shining, King Kong, Minecraft, Speed Racer, Back to the Future, Tron, Akira, Jurassic Park, Alien, Dune, GoldenEye, Superman, Hulk, Looney Tunes, Harley Quinn, Space Invaders, Bill and Ted, Star Wars, Star Trek, War of the Worlds, Tootsie Pop, Beetlejuice, Mad Max, Mortal Kombat, Gremlins, Thriller, Night Saturday Night Fever, Breakfast Club, Animal House, Dungeons and Dragons, The Fly, Thundercats, Nancy Drew, Punked, Child's Play, Ninja Turtles, Godzilla, T2, Terminator 2, Indiana Jones, Pac-Man, Mario Kart, Halo, Pee-Wee, Mass Effect, and Tomb Raider. 
there's a lot more than that yeah, there's too, more which than is that. what's cool. I didn't I want love to the be Bill and Ted big. one because it's so funny. Yeah, it's, it's like, awesome. Like, oh, we wish we could go backwards, like really fast, like really like, push really? the pedal to the metal. <laughs> Bill and Ted did it. <laughs> All right, let's get into some characters and then we'll get into analyzing the film because there's it's one more so phenomenal. I'm sorry, there's one more thing about predicting the future that this film did really well. Let's do it, bro. Crypto. Oh yeah. So the, there's a the mon the monetary currency in the Oasis is the most valuable real world currency on this planet in this story. So the the currency in the game is the currency of the world of its day. Yeah, so they call it credits. Yeah, credits, thank you. And so this is literally an example of cryptocurrency. Yeah, but you could say that cryptocurrency, the idea of it has always been around in digital games and stuff like this because you've always been able to use real money to buy stuff for like avatars and video games. I mean, even for um, Fortnite, you can pay money and you get credits. So like that's always been around, but it's actually the currency of the world in the film. Yeah, I would just argue that you're still spending dollars like in America, you're spending American dollars to buy that thing. Yeah, but you still have to at some point convert American dollars yeah, into crypto. Exactly. But you can actually like earn. But what I'm saying is this currency in the game, you can buy things in the real world yeah. with it, which is which is really fascinating. And, you know, it is a decentralized form of currency, which crypto is. So it's an amazing, perfect prediction for the future Been i hodling my bitcoin i got my, it my I, cardano my ethereum let's go to the moon matic poly oh yeah i got some bad ones too but <laughs> those are my killers you got some shit coins <laughs> definitely have some definitely have some shit coins but when 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 everything was going up i'm like oh i gotta buy teller <laughs> buy anchor uh, it's all good though i'm still up i'm still up and i'm, I'm Still been hodling AMC. This is not financial advice, everybody. No. But but get on Ethereum before it we goes are too high. we are diamond holding apes in this household. <laughs> Polygon. <laughs> Let's get into okay, some let's characters. Get movie. Let's start with Wade Watts, who's also goes by Parsifal or Z, played by Ty Sheridan. And Ty Sheridan, we've talked about a few times. He is an emerging talent in Hollywood. The first time I really saw him, he was in. Uh, the Tree of Life, Terrence Malick's film. He plays one of the sons of Brad Pitt and Jessica Chastain. And he was uh, he was very good in that film for just being like, what, like eight or nine years old. But then when I saw him in Mud, opposite Matthew McConaughey in that film, blew me away. I was like, this kid's going to be a star someday. And now here he is starring in a Steven Spielberg film, which is absolutely incredible. He was just, And he's been Cyclops. Yeah, he yeah. was Cyclops in the X-Men. He yeah. was just in The Card Counter, which I did not love, but it's still working with Oscar he Isaac. He did a good job. Yeah, yeah. and... um. What's his name? The writer of Taxi Driver directed that and wrote that too. But still, Paul Schrader. Paul Schrader. So, I think he's an emerging talent in Hollywood, and I can't wait to see what he does with the rest of his career. But he's perfect in this movie as Wade Watts. I think he's a, a great character for the story because I feel like everybody can kind of relate to him. He he is very young, but all and he is a bit naive. But he's so he's so innocent and he's so you know positive and he never gives up. You know he is an undying spirit. And I think the, the audience naturally gravitates to this character because of those qualities. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he grew up, his parents died in this hard world to live in. He was named sort of as a superhero by his dad, Wade Watts, you know, sort of be a Peter Parker in a way. Yeah, the WW. Yeah. And, uh, he want, and he lives with his aunt who, and throughout the film, all these real world characters, all they care about is the Oasis, just like Wade Watts and everyone else. And, you know, they put all their money into it, all their lives into it. His his aunt and her boyfriend, all they care about is making money in the Oasis. And all he wants to do is try to find the Easter egg once it's it's done because he's, he's what's called a gunter later on. And Wade Watts' motivation to win the contest is it's not exactly like the most positive motivation I would say like Artemis has to actually do good in the world. He obviously wants to you know everyone wants to get control of the oasis and become super rich and become and leave the slums that they've been growing up in but for him it's not as powerful of a motivation as someone like artemis though 
But ultimately, he does deserve it yeah. more than anyone. Oh, and for sure. I think that he proves how much heart he has by the end. And uh, Halliday's genius concept of the games of even after he gets the three keys and makes it to the final contract level, him refusing the contract shows how much uh, Wade really, uh, how much humanity Wade has and how much understanding he has for Halliday. I think that was the real test of it all. Oh, yeah, that was the final test. Because for, whoever, whoever understood Halliday the best would win this contest. Because even if Nolan Sorrento ended up winning the final challenges, he would have failed the final test. Yeah. Of, he would have signed that contract immediately 100%. and would have failed. He would have never gotten control of the Oasis. Everybody probably would have. And so I think that Wade's love of... Wade loves the Oasis, but I think even more he loves Halliday for creating the Oasis. Yeah, I agree. The, you know, like the brilliance of Halliday and this icon, iconic figure in his mind. And I think that because of his affection for this man... And that rubs off on him. The goodness of Halliday, you know, that innocent naivety, childlike goodness of the man rubbed off on Wade. And I, honestly, he probably learned a lot of great life lessons along the way, which gave him the ability to win the contest yeah, in and, the end. And that's why Artemis tells him that she knows he's going to be the one to win. Because like you said, he does deserve it more than anybody because he knows Halliday better than anyone. And that's the whole point of him winning. Yeah, exactly. And what I really love about this movie is... Um, because everyone is an avatar, you know, they get to create, you know, their own looks and nobody looks like just like a normal human being, you know what I mean? And it gives people the freedom to create their own individuality. And I think that's something a lot of people would like and what it would a lot of people I think would flourish if they looked the way they wanted to look and if they had complete freedom over what they look to other people. And I really love that part of this movie. And on top of that, you know, the CGI isn't perfect, but that that the fact that you're in a video game, in a VR game, that makes it okay for the CGI not to be to the T, like super realistic. And it gave the filmmakers the freedom to not worry about that because you're in a video game and the audience knows it's a video game. So that, that means that the CGI doesn't have to look super, super photorealistic and it can be a little cartoony at times. And I think that gives Spielberg and his animators a lot of freedom because if you watch a movie nowadays and the CGI doesn't look good, it takes you out of the film mm -hmm. but in this you're in a vr video game watching it so i i don't think there's ever been a movie where cgi has ever been more accepted than in this because it is you're essentially no you know you're watching a vr video game the whole time maybe like the original tron maybe yeah but um yeah identity is a huge theme in this film you know ready player one explores that main theme of staying true to oneself that's why i mean we, we're, we always talk about we want to be wary of new technology and where it's heading in terms of VR and, and AR and what's happening in the future and how it will affect us in terms of being human beings. But there are pros and cons to everything. You know, that is definitely a pro to actually live your truth and be who you want to be out in the oasis or whether it's going to be in the metaverse. I'm sure, sure the same thing will happen. You can literally design yourself for how you want. You can design your home for how you want. You can live the life that you want to live inside the oasis or metaverse. If that's what you choose to do with your life, then that's totally acceptable. I think and if you're watching on YouTube or on social media you may have noticed that Anthony and I have some brand new laptops on our desks these are the 17 inch LG Graham ultra lightweight laptops the cool thing about them is their 16 by 10 aspect ratio unlike the 16.9 we usually get so more vertical space awesome for editing awesome for during our podcast referring to notes the displays on them are fantastic we love watching movies on these they're so so good and you'd be shocked how light they are because it seems like there's no hardware inside, but I'm telling you, they're super powerful, even though they're shockingly light. So we'll put links in our YouTube video of this in the bio for the LG Gram 16-inch and 17-inch models. Thank you so much, LG and the LG Gram laptop for sponsoring the show for the rest of the year.
And if you're literally stuck inside your home for your entire life living on Earth in the year 2045, escaping your reality online, you'd better have the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0. Otherwise, things are going to get a little out of hand, worse than they did during lockdown of 2020. Use our coupon code Raiders of Lust at checkout for 20% off and free shipping from your entire order at Manscaped.com. And Manscaped has just launched some brand new products, which would also come in handy living in a VR world for 20 hours a day. The brand new body wash and two-in-one shampoo conditioner, which just came out. These are must-buy for guys. And they'll also be expanding their line to more products this month, which we can't wait to share with you guys. That We have to keep it top secret for now, but they're expanding their entire line, which is incredible stuff for news for guys. So all the men listening right now, or ladies, if you have a man in your life, men if you have a man in, men, men if you have a man in your life, Go to manscaped.com. This is products. These are products that we'll actually use. Guys will use everything. The boxer briefs, the deodorizers, the men's wipes, lawnmower, the weed whacker. Everything is phenomenal. Get these goodies with our coupon code Raiders of Lust at checkout for 20% off and free shipping today. Hurry up. It's holiday season. You got to get those gifts in. Get the packages too. The 4.0 is phenomenal. And throughout the film, in the book, the characters, some of them try to hide their real identities in the Oasis, obviously with Artemis with her birthmark. She's embarrassed by that, which she shouldn't be. And then H obviously tries to hide her identity through 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 her avatar as well. And she doesn't she acts um she she, she tell, distorts her voice. Yeah, too. she distorts yeah. her voice and gender to Wade. Wade thinks that H is a man the whole time. And so it's it's a good way for someone if they, they don't feel comfortable in the world, they can they can be who they want to be or who how they feel inside. So there's a movie that did this, um, I would say fifteen 12 years ago, did it poorly. It was a Bruce Willis movie with Rosamund Pike, and it was actually in Boston. Do you remember it? I can't remember what it was called. Oh, yeah. It yeah. Was, um, it's a sci-fi film. What's it called? But in Something the, with an S. Something, yes. Surrogates. Surrogates. Thank you. So in the in that film, um, surrogates, people experience reality through a robot surrogate of themselves. So they stay home in this kind of like chamber. Chamber-esque, just like um, Nolan's chamber, very similar to that in this film. Like he has that like think he could sit in and, and no in Sorrento's yeah Sorrento he doesn't have to like walk around or anything it's like the most advanced technology you can have for entering the oasis, oasis where he doesn't have to move so it's that kind of thing and so people their av- surrogates go out in the, in the real world but these are just robots that look like them but you end up learning that the robots look like very perfect versions of them but and I, I love the idea but that film made it every person when you saw them in real life in their home they were like grotesque looking and burned and they all had scars and they like someone was like super had horrible like balding hair and like terrible teeth and it was like that was like too like a little too on the nose but the concept of like you can only be accepted if you're perfect is, yeah. is absurd i yeah. mean i don't like that at all yeah. that's what's wrong with that film so that's why the film didn't work whereas this film understood that it's not essentially you ha- you don't have to have anything that anything that looks out of the ordinary it's more about your identity and how you feel and not feeling comfortable in your own skin and even if you don't have like a scar or burn marks or or, or you're bald it's more about ha- like not feeling comfortable just in general in what body you're in Whereas the Oasis gives you the ability and the freedom to become whoever you feel comfortable as. Yeah, that's what's so great about like the last few years culturally, like the acceptance of who you are and who your truth is. That's that's now popular, or that that's now 
you know, important and that's what everyone's promoting. That didn't used to be the case even two, three years ago. So that's what's great about the concept of the Oasis, where if you feel uncomfortable with who you are in person and it's not who you think, who you feel you are inside, then you can be that in the Oasis. You can probably be that in the metaverse and not have to be, not have to worry about doing it in the real world. But what also really works for the, the Oasis is that there are real stakes and there is danger because you're not, you can't die in the Oasis, but you, when you're, if your avatar dies, you lose everything. So you, you have the risk of losing everything you saved up maybe all the perks and upgrades you've purchased, uh, maybe suits that you've purchased. And, and so I really love that concept where these people like Wade are literally risking everything they have to continue this scavenger hunt. So there, I, I love that conflict of the characters. Yeah, and also the the more powerful your avatar is in terms of leveling up, the more impenetrable you are to like weak attacks. I though. love Irock, the bounty hunter. He's so he's funny. so funny. <laughs> By TJ Miller. <laughs> oh my God, he's so like, funny. He's, he's like, I got like a neck thing. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know if it's like, I need like physical therapy or it's like carpal tunnel for your neck. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. But I, I love the concept of identity and being who you are in real life or inside that's you can do that in the oasis you can do that in the metaverse i'm sure yeah and the thing is this this movie is about part of one of the main themes of this movie is escapism and we all find escapism in different things you know movies aren't escape you know listening to music is, is an escape listen television to us, listen to our podcast and traffic yeah, is an escape exactly playing a video game is an escape however this film does really smartly show that it's an the problem is vr technology and you know especially social media uh, but video games like this they are an escape but they can be a dangerous escape because you can control how long your escape lasts and you can just never end if you want if you're in the right if you like you don't have to worry about bills and stuff you can just always be in your escape whereas like if you and I go see a movie where our escape is has a window of like two hours or so you know what I mean but this is a danger and they talk about in the film especially Halliday's intention and Wade's eventual decision to ban the the oasis for two days a week the clan's decision the clan the, the five the high five clan it's because you escape is okay but you don't want to escape from reality for too long you know what i mean because then you'll lose sight of what really matters so escapism i'm all for it but you have to limit it for sure yeah i mean we're evolving we're human beings and we're evolving it's inevitable to you know embrace this culture and the technology that we get because it makes our lives easier and you know but it also is important to embrace humanity in the real world at the same time now let's move on to artemis Artie, also samantha played helen by, played by oh, samantha sorry wow come on man get your characters right <laughs> Played by Olivia Cook, who is phenomenal in this movie. I don't think I'd ever seen her in anything. Really oh, really? Before. She's she's a me, Earl, and a dying girl. I don't think I've seen that. She's in a few other things too. Maybe I've seen her. A few I times. watched that movie on a plane and I was weeping. I was <laughs> sobbing. I was I had to hide myself from sobbing. I could feel people looking at me. Uh, but she's she's killing it right now. She's got cast in some big projects, but um, she's she, in the new Game of Thrones. I believe. Yeah, she's yeah. In, yeah, that's what yeah, it is. She's in, she's a house not House Targaryen, the the rival house. Yeah, so I can't wait to see her in that. She's phenomenal in this movie as Artemis Ari. And so her motivation is more about saving people's lives because, you know, there's this in intense theme of classism and this in enormous wealth gap and real world, it, real world problems that she tells Wade that Wade doesn't really understand because, yes, Wade has gr grown up in extreme poverty. He's lost his parents, but he hasn't lived as hard a life as a lot of other people who have real problems in terms of 
her father having to live and die in a loyalty center, which is basically indentured servitude to pay off your debt, which you never really fully leave because IOI, the corporation which helps pay off people's debts for them to work for them inside the Oasis, has basically control over people's lives. And it's definitely, it's like a new form of slavery in a way. It it has an intense and great parallel to, you know, corporate factory work. And, you know, factory work in America was a horrible thing in, at, after the turn of the century during the Industrial Revolution, but also it built America. You know, the Industrial Revolution is the reason why America grew so quickly. That and plus the during World War II, nothing in America was destroyed. So we got lucky in terms of where we were located. But, but employees were yeah. treated like scum yeah, and dirt. Yeah, and so during the Industrial Revolution, yes, America, uh, America grew and it was amazing growth. But, you know, the poverty in America was 94%. Of extreme poverty, so ninety-four percent of the population was in poverty because they were working in these intense factories. And a lot of all, all the immigrants who were coming in, whether it be yeah. Irish or Italians, they go right to work in factories all around the country yeah. and re- building railroads and roads and buildings. And like they couldn't even speak the language; they were p- being paid nothing, and yeah. they, they were dying. They weren't being policed. There was there was rampant crime, and they were just it was a horrible life to live. Yeah, it was terrible. And you know that has that, and obviously that's gone in America now, but that is still happening across the world in a lot of countries and in a lot of big countries too you know like kids are digging for coal in india every day it's a terrible working thing. in an apple yeah. factory yeah. for 20 hours yeah. a day or whatever yeah these giant factories for like these companies that we all love like apple where you know poor people are making these products that they don't even they can't even afford and they're working in a factory 16 hours a day and there i've seen photos like they People are like passing it on the floors, and, and these are just the ones we know about. Yeah, and, and there are there are nets around the building on the outside for when people want to jump out of a window, it catches them, so it doesn't, so it prevents people from actually committing suicide because of how difficult the life is. And you know, this is all for the profits of these major corporations. And I think this mo- movie is a brilliant, brilliant allegory to that. You know, these corporations they seem so nice, and you know, they have these cool advertisements, and they they have celebrities for the commercials, and. You know, it's all positive. They have a, a, a cute looking logo, but, you know, they, they cause a lot of uh, a lot of suffering across the world, across the globe that of people we don't know and never meet and never will meet. And that's a terrible thing. And, you know, we should be lucky that we live on this side of things. But I think this movie, especially with the IOI loyalty centers, with this corporate indentured servitude of of the IOI people just taking these people's lives basically away and forcing them to work until they they go kaput. You know what I mean? It's it's a terrible thing, but it happens in this world that we live in today. And so Artemis has been exposed to that. Wade hasn't really. So that's her motivation is to try to keep the Oasis pure, keep it out of the hands of IOI and Nolan Sorrento because if he got control of the Oasis, not only would he destroy the Oasis and, and, and make it about only making money and he does that there's that scene where he's like we can put up 80 percent of the screen as advertisements before inducing seizures for people so all he wants to do is make money and profit but also imagine what he would do to the ioi centers and the loyalty centers in terms of expanding them and making even more loyalty centers around the world so even more people will be stuck in this indentured servitude yeah ben mendelson is great as nolan he's an excellent villain and uh, he, he's great at playing the bad guy in movies. He's done it a bunch, and you know, I, I think that the character is excellent. And I love the scene when he and no, he and Wade are talking, and he's trying to trick Wade into thinking that he's like just like him. You know, he's a cool guy. He and, just has to wear a tie. Yeah, exactly. But I, I love how Wade sees right through him. Yeah. So well, we might as well talk about Nolan Sorrento while we're doing it. Ben Mendelsohn, phenomenal job. I love the character design too, with the giant fake teeth that he has. Yeah. I don't know if Ben got that done in real life or if it's just for the character. I bet it's for the character. I'm assuming it's for the character. 
um, the TV show he's making at the same time, you didn't see it. It seems like implants because he kind of has a little bit of a lisp because he's probably not fully used to the teeth yet for it. But again, Nolan Sorrento, he wants to fully control and corrupt the Oasis because whoever wins, wins the Easter egg hunt wins the Oasis in control of it. And so I, what I also love about his character is his avatar is a direct reflection of his insecurities and arrogance as a human being. So when he goes in, his avatar is like this huge, enormous, jacked, <laughs> square-jawed businessman. He looks like American Dad. Which is, <laughs> yeah, which is the exact opposite of what he is, yeah. which I think is super ironic. And I love how he works with IROC. IROC is so <laughs> freaking funny in this movie, TJ Miller. And IROC is working with him as basically like a mercenary to take care of tasks and, you know, gather intel on Wade Watts and try to help him at the end from controlling the final challenge so that only Nolan Sorrento can win. Yeah, and then and then essentially the next main character. Wait, hold on. But also with Nolan Sorrento. Sorry to interrupt. There's a hey, little more. It's okay, man. It's fine. There's a, there's a dense backstory with him where he used to work for... Um, Halliday, but he was just an intern. But he, the way he got control over IOI was he said that he knew about oh, the Oasis and he helped Halliday build it and everything. He knew all of Halliday's secrets. But really, as we learned from Simon Pegg's char- character, um, uh, Ogden, or the curator, is that all he knew was how he took his coffee. <laughs> I love that little scene they see, the memory. Yeah, but in the memory, you can see Nolan Sorrento still had ambitions for just money, where he's like, we can have different tiers. We can have the gold, the platinum, the silver, depending on how much you pay per month. And, and Halliday's like, it's a hell of a latte. <laughs> 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 but again, Ben Mendelsohn is such a good villain. I love when he does the characters like this. But I think James Halliday is the best character of the movie. 100%. So fascinating. Uh, do you have the actor's name written down? I'm so Mark sorry. Rylance. Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Come on, yeah, man. Oscar for Spies. Jeez. Okay. Give me a break. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just feeling it. We had, we had chocolate shakes before this. That's why we are so chipper. And, uh, yeah, 30, am, 50 grams of sugar. Oh, it was more than that. Yeah, I'm jumping. I am jacked. It was very dense and it was chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> but Mark Rylance is an excellent actor. He was also in Dunkirk, you'll remember him yeah. from. And he's he's actually been a stage actor for decades, but he recently, he's got he's gotten films here and there. Never really had a big hit, but then in the last few years, Spielberg kind of discovered him with Bridge of Spies. He won the Oscar, and now he's been in some really big movies lately. He's an excellent actor, and I think that his performance as James Halliday is really re- remarkable. And uh, you can look at James Halliday as someone who hasn't emotionally matured, you know, because he's like afraid to ask a girl out on a date. Uh, he is obsessed with video games, obviously. So, in a lot of ways, he still has a childlike mentality. Ironically, he is the biggest genius in the world as well. How about we go to our intermission, get that out of the way, and have some fun? Sounds wonderful. All right, let's begin with our movie quote competition. So mine is pretty good. Let's see if you can get this. Well, you should definitely get it. It's kind of a long one, so pay attention. Okay. <laughs> well, I generally come in at least 15 minutes late. Uh, I use the side door. That way, Lumberg can't see me. After that, I just sort of space out for an hour. Uh, space out? Yeah, I just stare at my desk, but it looks like I'm working. I do that for probably another hour after lunch, too. I'd say in a given week, I probably only do about 15 minutes of real actual work. Office space. (laughs) That's great. I forgot about that. I just sort of space out for an hour, (laughs) but it looks like I'm working. I'm a people person. What the hell's the matter with you people? (laughs) Michael Bolton? (laughs) All right, here's my quote. Control. It's all about control. Every dictatorship has one obsession, and that's it. In ancient Rome, they gave the people bread and circuses. They kept the population busy with entertainment, but other dictatorships used strategies to control ideas and knowledge. How do they do that? They lower education, they limit culture, censor information, censor any means of individual expression, and it's important to remember this, 
That is a pattern that repeats itself throughout history. Say the first line. Control. It's all about control. Enemy. Yeah, good one. Got it. I had a feeling you could do it. I love that movie, yeah, dude. Yeah, it's a great one. Whew. Good job. For a second, I thought it was a Brad Pitt movie for a second, but then I was like, no, that's that's the enemy for sure. Yeah. All right. Guess this movie release year. This is actually a film that Spielberg produced. Hmm. The Flintstones. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was uh, Danny Baldwin and John Goodman. Um, I'm going to say, we were kids when this came out. I'm going to say... But we weren't that young. I would say 1998. We were pretty young. It was 94. Oh, man. Shoot. Your turn. Good good, good one. He's okay. produced a lot of movies. You'd yeah. be surprised. He even is an executive producer on um, Cape Fear, Unlisted. Oh, really? Uncredited. Well, he has Amblin Entertainment and DreamWorks Productions, so mm-hmm. making lots of movies. Okay, here's my movie re- release here. It's actually a TV show, but you've watched it, so I'm saying it. How do you know I've watched it? Because I know you. <laughs> Mad Men. When did it premiere? 2005, 2007. Ah! <laughs> All right. Movie pop quiz time. Who wrote Gremlins? Christopher Columbus. Yep. And then bonus, who directed it? Hmm. Um, Robert Smekis. Joe Dante. No. I don't know. I did not I know I would have been shocked if you got it. That's yep. why it's a bonus. All right. Your turn. What was Steve Buscemi's job before making it as an actor? He had like one specific job. Yeah. Firefighter. Yep. Yeah. Nice job. Thanks, man. Yeah, I knew you knew it. I got two out of three, I think, right? Way to go, yeah, man. Pretty good. Pretty good day. It's a good day for you. Yeah, 667. Wasn't, you're not bad at 1,000. <laughs> 667 is pretty good. I mean, it's better than Teddy Ballgame. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who's our hater of the week? We got a real one? Oh, yeah. We got a real one. How good is it? We got a bunch of haters. But um, I posted a clip of uh, the town. Charlestown kid. Charlestown and all these Boston kids just went to town on us. That's we love Boston, but man, some the toxicity there is pretty intense with with like the hardcore Boston people. It's, yeah, it's nuts. So this guy wrote, "This guy lives in California. He has no business talking about Boston, and that was just a movie. None of that is true. He's talking out of his ass." And then one of our fans said, "I think they were born in Mass." And then, <laughs> and then this guy wrote, "Yes, he was, but he left. Also, there's no bank robberies. LOL. He doesn't know what he's talking about." There was just a bank robbery in Charlestown like two weeks yeah, ago. That was fact, huge. Yeah, the fact that you could say there's no bank robberies at all in Boston. It was is huge. It was like yeah. a big one. Like li- literally just happened. Like, are you always keeping up to date with the crime statistics, pal? Are you like, geez, do you Louise. work at the FBI? I didn't realize. Seriously, my God, do you listen to the police scanner all day? <laughs> Nope, no, no robberies in Charlestown today, guys. No, no, no. I've been keeping tabs. I've been keeping tabs. I, I live in Charlestown. This is my city. Yeah, I know everything that goes on in Charlestown. Freaking works at Radio Shack, probably. No, he, no, he works at no, he, he works, works at Dunkin' Donuts. He works on the MBTA. <laughs> he mops up the train. He works on the Green Line. Yeah, I love Charlestown. Yeah, I'm from there. From, actually, I'm from Roslyn Hill. <laughs> <laughs> All right, All right no, non-Massachusetts people are not going to get those. <laughs> All right, and then we have some unsubscribed haters. In our 28 Days Later in Shaun of the Dead episode, I mixed up Buckingham Palace with the House of Parliament. You it, always do that, too. Yeah, and Jake wrote, you mixed it up. As a UK viewer, you have left me no choice other than to unsubscribe. <laughs> <laughs> and then in our Tim Burton episode, Jess Crodrell said, no mention of Planet of the Apes. 
unsubscribe. I thought we did talk about Planet of the Yeah, Apes. I think we did. Maybe she missed that part. Yeah, you definitely must have. We definitely talked about it. Yeah, you you better resubscribe, yeah, Jess. Jess, resubscribe right now and rewatch. <laughs> that means you were skimming the episode. Did you skim it? Did you skip? Did you did you scrubbing? You scrubbed you it scrubbed through the episode. We definitely talked about it. You better resubscribe. We, and we Jess. talked about the prosthetics. We talked about Helena Bonham Carter and everything. But also, she said that uh, she loves us and keep it up. We love you too, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> we're just joking. <laughs> and then in that Boston clip, apparently I made the music too loud, and uh, they were like, "Are <laughs> 100 comments about it. I did that a week ago, and you yeah. texted me, like, hey, man, the music's too loud in that clip. We should redo it. Yeah, but you, that music was so. I couldn't even hear your voice after it. I haven't even looked at this clip. Dude, I couldn't even hear your voice after five seconds. No, I'm talking about the child. This was not that bad. It, it's like two seconds where it just amps up a little bit, but then it's, it goes back down. People get upset. And so many people were saying, the music's too. The mu- could you? People were saying, the music's not loud enough, like, ironically. I love how people, they always comment, can you turn the music down? No, it's already posted, bro. And then, but <laughs> exactly. But then one of our fans wrote, I don't know about these other comments. I actually think you guys are talking too loud, and I, <laughs> and I can't hear the music. Subscribe. <laughs> Who wrote that? Uh, X, XD Kyle 19. He deserves a shout out. That's awesome. <laughs> that cracked me up. Can cracked you turn the up. music up? <laughs> All right. Uh, supporter of this episode is going to be. Um, Awesome. This is a great five-star review, so listen to this. Best podcast in the history of the universe. <laughs> I've been listening to these guys for the past year. My wife and I just had our firstborn. Congratulations. Congrats. Both are doing great, but she was premature. While we were in the NICU, I would love to. Go, I would have to go home to take care of the animals and house. During the 15-minute drive home and back again, I would listen to this podcast. James and Anthony kept me sane during an extremely stressful time. Their jokes, funny banter, and making fun of negative reviewers <laughs> kept me laughing and lifted my spirits. The breakdown of movies allowed my mind to break away and relax a bit. I never thought a podcast about movies would have done this, but I'm grateful I found this podcast. Thank you, James and Anthony. Thank you for being my mental sanctuary. You guys are awesome. Keep up the great work. Andrew Hagen, P.S. Subscribe to their Patreon. Andrew, congratulations on your family. We're so glad that they're both healthy and and thriving right now. I'm sure they're doing so. Thanks so much again for the review. We appreciate it, Andrew. Congratulations. You're an awesome fan. Now let's get back into... Wait, what's your streaming recommendation? School of Rock on Netflix. Nice. That's yeah, a great one. Super funny. I forgot to do on this day in film history. Sorry, guys. What happened? <laughs> I forgot. What the hell happened? <laughs> What's today's date? <laughs> I'll make something up. Thursday, November 4th. Uh, it's our niece's birthday. That happened in happy film bur- history. Happy today. birthday, niece. <laughs> <laughs> what else happened? A movie came out in 1998. All right. Sorry, guys. I failed. What a disappointment. <laughs> Does anyone it. want James's job? I know he just quit his job, but he might have to go back now. <laughs> <laughs> do you love movie posters? I sure do. The best way to show that love of yours is to deck your place out with a ton of movie posters. And the best place to do that is at moviepoasters.com, the number one place to get your posters online today. Use our new and special promo code Raiders10 to get 10% off your order today. These are high-quality posters. If you're looking at our set on YouTube today, it is decked out with all these amazing posters. We have some new coming in, new ones coming in this week, so keep an eye out for those when we throw them on our walls. They have all sorts of sizes, framing, backlighting, pretty much every film imaginable. Movieposters.com has it. Again, use our special promo code RAIDERS10 to get 10% off your order today. Next up, our amazing sponsor, Arc Studio Pro, which is the best screenwriting software on the market has just started their own podcast. It is called How I Write, Screenwriters on Their Process. This new podcast will be premiering on November 12th. Al Horner, a film and pop culture journalist, will be hosting the show, interviewing top screenwriters like David Gordon Green, who just made Halloween Kills, Misha Green, who wrote Lovecraft County, and many more 
for a total of eight episodes for its first season. They will discuss topics like how do screenplays actually get written? How long does David Gordon Green sit down to write at a time? How do they keep their notes and ideas? Learn from the pros like David Gordon Green and Misha Green and Jim Cummings on what their writing process looks like. Arc Studio Pro will also be giving away all sorts of perks for subscribers and reviews, including a one-year subscription to their Arc Studio Pro software. Again, the How I Write podcast will be coming out on November 12th, so keep an eye out for it and subscribe. Let's get back into Ready Player One. We were just talking about James Halliday. And so James Halliday was the creator of the Oasis. And then after his death, he broadcasted this great announcement of this enormous Easter egg, Easter egg hunt, which which means he placed an Easter egg. And I can't say egg to <laughs> egg. E-G-G. I'm so excited. He placed an Easter egg inside the game somewhere in the Oasis for whoever to find gets control of the Oasis as well as all of his shares and all of his fortune. But it's hidden somewhere so hard inside of his mind to find that only a true um, Halliday fan and, and, and Gunter, you could say, would be able to find it. And there are three keys hidden inside the Oasis which all have clues and open doors which lead to the egg eventually. And only someone worthy could locate it and find it. But it could be anywhere inside the Oasis, which it, is an infinite world, really. And also, he's he's set up like this library of the most important memories of his life, which, unbeknownst to everyone, hide, hide the secret clues vital to getting each key. It's called the Halliday Journals. And this is where Simon, Be- Simon Pegg plays the butler or the curator. He also plays Ogden at the same time, who was his original business partner with the Oasis. But Halliday eventually kind of pushed him out because he wanted to be the only owner of the Oasis and also because of their sort of love triangle that was going on. But the Halliday Journals have every recorded moment of his entire life, whether it be from a security camera, from little home security cameras, nest cameras, you could say, and and uh, memories and stuff like that. So all of that is curated into the journals as well as all the listings of his favorite movies, TV shows, music, um, events of his life, everything from his past that's been recorded is in the Halliday journals. And I really love the the steps to getting each key. The first one obviously is that amazing New York City race which with King Kong in it. And the first time I saw that race, I was absolutely blown away. It's such a great action sequence. It's so intense and, you know, the special effects, the CGI is amazing. I really adore that scene. It's so much fun. Yeah, so all the challenges and everything are awesome. But Halliday in general, he's a really fascinating character because of it, like we talked about, he's like this impossibly smart guy. He didn't really know how to get around or or socially interact with people in the real world. That's why as a child, he was obsessed with video games. And he created video games and he created the Oasis for him to escape, you could say, into a new reality. And, you know, him and Ogden have that relationship where Kira, who eventually became Ogden's wife, was went on a date with James Halliday, you know, and she wanted to go to the movies. They ended up staying in and watching The Shining, right? That's or something mm-hmm. like she wanted to go and they, they went and watched The Shining. And so it's a complicated relationship that not until his deathbed, really, Halliday fully understood that Ogden was the most important part of his life outside of creating the Oasis because Ogden was his only friend. And Ogden, he, he might have looked at Ogden as someone trying to take advantage of the Oasis at the time to maybe make money, sort of like what Nolan Sorrento wanted to do. But Ogden really wanted to stay on board with the Oasis because he was his best friend. He wanted to be a part of it just to be a part of it rather than trying to make money off of it. Yeah, I think ultimately he, he discovered that, <clears throat> excuse me, one of his biggest fears was losing Ogden as a friend. 
you, you know, and at the after he lost yeah, him, yeah, after he lost that's him, his biggest he realized, regret, his biggest regret. That's right, and and also, you know, his biggest fear was kissing a girl, kissing a woman, and that's why that shining test is asking um, her for a dance is the way to achieve the goal of getting that key. So uh, he always had a fear of, you know, approaching woman, dating woman, even though it's something he wanted. And it wasn't until he was older that he realized that not having, I, I think not having an intimate relationship with a woman was also one of the biggest regrets of his life and something he really wished he had. Yeah, because I think throughout the scavenger hunt, uh, Artemis H and... Z Parsifal, they they think it, that Kira is really the key. Kira is because he was in maybe he was in love with Kira the whole time, and that's why she's the key to finding the golden egg. But really, Ogden was the rosebud of the story. So Ogden, you know, from Citizen Kane, that's a great reference, was his rosebud. It's like you know he's really the whole heart of the oasis and the reason why he left this Easter egg hunt and you know left him around as a curator. Yeah, as well. he he was his only intimate you know, human. Um, connection he ever had in his entire life this is only friend yeah, he his lost only him friend. He pushed him out of the company yeah and that's why when uh at the end of the film after parzival gets the easter egg he says that his entire clan is going to run the entire place together and they're all going to sign the contract and ogden thinks that it's the right decision to do because that's all ogden wanted to do he helped he wanted to help build it with um with halliday even though halliday is the genius who created it like even when ogden referred to it as we built this we built the game or like and then Halliday's like I built the game you know I think he was being defensive and protective of his property it's like say. social network kind of yes it's very similar yeah but their relationship's really interesting and I think the final character to talk about is H or Helen played by Lena Waithe and it's H actually not just like the letter H but it's A-E-C-H that's her her gamer tag her avatar and she is Z's best friend inside the, the Oasis they've never met in the real world and again her identity is she has projected herself as a as a a male, a very masculine man, yeah, a male yeah. to to Parsifal, who has always looked at at H as a man the entire time they've known each other because of the way H looks, and also she has distorted her voice to make it sound much deeper than it really yeah, is. Her avatar looks, yeah. But I love H. She's so funny. She's a great breath of fresh air, and she has an iron giant. It's so awesome. so sick. And I love how she's like a mechanic, so she. She's like she builds replicas, like she's building the Iron Giant. Also, she has souped up her truck to like defeat other players. I think it's a really fun player. I think it's a great character to have because it's like everybody knows that gamer who's like super serious about gaming and is all about their upgrades and they're a little obsessive about it. And I think that she represents that for gamers. Yeah, so I think that one of my favorite parts of the film is when they all meet in the real world because then you're talking about show who's actually like this young kid who in the oasis is this fierce ninja warrior and same thing with with uh daito too so like they've all been kind of keeping their identities a secret like everybody does in the oasis and you know it's important they think to never tell your true identity artemis never wants to know who wade's what raids wade's real name is despite the fact that wade's the first person to admit that he's falling in love with one with her yeah and then h is like she, like she could be like an old man you don't even know she could be a 50 year old man <laughs> with a gut <laughs> but what I think is what's really endearing about Wade is that he doesn't care what Artemis looks like you know he's he has the connection I, and this is like part of that you know real life is what really matters like he's drawn to this person Artemis and he doesn't care who she really is or what she really looks like what he cares about is this connection that he's made with her 
and that's more important than anything to him. So that's why he is really intent on meeting her in real life. But the problem with Artemis and Parsifal, and this is what H is very wise about, you know, is they're on this Easter egg hunt. It's like kind of like you have your like your friends and your clans, unless you're like Artemis who does everything solo, and you can't really trust anybody. They're kind of rivals. So, but yeah, and you can't trust them. You don't know them. But H and Parsifal, they trust each other. But Parzival's being, you know, swayed obviously because he's he's attracted to Artemis. He's kind of obsessed with her. He watches all of her streams and twitches and everything. Yeah, he he had heard of her. She's like she's legendary. So he's yeah. got like this internet crush on her. But H is the one like she could just be using you to get to the Easter egg and using your knowledge of Halliday and the games to in your pop culture knowledge to help further her goals of getting the egg for herself. So you have to. She's trying to. Tell him that you got to be careful. You don't like she could just be taking advantage of you. But but Parzival, you know, he actually feels a connection with Artemis and Artemis does, too. But she's the only between the two of them. She's the one who's pushing it away for the longest time because she doesn't like the way she looks more than anything. Well, that and also she's trying to win for I think her motive again. Her motivation is is a lot more important than Wade's. Yeah, but also. Uh, yeah, definitely. And also, she doesn't want them to meet because she's afraid that he'll be disappointed once once he meets her. Yeah, that's too. You know, she's that's I think that's one of her biggest fears is that the person that she likes will be disappointed by how she looks. Yeah, but what's so great about this Easter egg hunt is it creates this enormous war for the future with everybody who's in the oh, oasis yeah. trying to get there, trying to get the Easter egg. And what's it? It's like a year that nobody figures out the first clue. Well, they, the, well first the first clue, clue was the race. Yeah, but yeah. but that gets figured out. But it takes so long for somebody to even win the race. It's not until Wade figures out the clue about going backwards that he finally is the first one to win. Then he gives the information to H. Then Artemis figures it. No, Artemis <laughs> comes does it second because yeah. she watched him go backwards. Then he tells H. Then H tells Show and Show tells Daito or the other way around. Um, but it creates this enormous ward where everyone's kind of a free-for-all trying to get the egg and get the clues and everything. But also Nolan Sorrento with IOI has basically created an army of indentured servants and IOI Sixers who go into the Oasis and try to figure out the challenges and try to win the challenges and or get and gather gather um, credits and gather information for them. As well as like a giant team of researchers who have know everything they that can be known about the oasis and holiday yeah and like this is it's an entire team built to find and discover easter eggs based upon the clues but ultimately like they don't work out because they didn't understand Halliday. They know everything about him, but I think Wade's the only person who ever truly understood Halliday. Well, they do do figure things out, but a little too late. Not yeah. as quickly as, as um, Parzival or H or Artemis do. But I, 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 I think that Wade's the only person in the entire world who would have said no to the contract. Probably, because you could say that Artemis, she obviously could have gotten there, but maybe she would have just wanted to get control of the Oasis out of the hands of Nolan Sorrento so quickly that she would have signed it. With good intentions, yeah, but obviously, done it. Yeah. But I think Wade's the only one that would have realized that there's something wrong here. There's This is not how it's supposed to go down. Exactly. And I really love the upgrading aspect of the show. Like, first of all, he buys all like the new thing, the new gear inside the Oasis. And then it, it it ships to his trailer. He gets that new suit. And I, so what's really fascinating about this technology, and it's displayed in this in this film, and it will be eventually it will come to to fruition in the real world, is that this technology it um activates all of your senses. Eventually it will, and and does in this film where especially when when he gets the the best suit you can buy, you can feel things, you can hear things, you can see things. I'm sure you'll be able to smell things. 
maybe eventually you'll be able to taste things too. So once it activates all of your senses, that will fully immerse you into this VR experience more than anything. Yeah, I used to actually go to CES in Las Vegas every year at my old job, which, you know, just left because of Patreon. Um, <laughs> Free so man. That, that's the consumer electronics show. And that basically shows like all companies bring all their new tech, everything that's coming up, but also future prototype t technology. So if you ever go to events like that, and especially CES in Vegas, but they have all sorts of things like this, you see the future tech there and you see stuff like that. You see VR, you see augmented reality, you see how that interacts with touch and senses and stuff like that. So I've actually been seeing this stuff for for like the last five or six years going to that event every year, but now to see it in the real world, it's pretty wild. I've actually been on VR rides and it's the most exciting ride I've ever, rides I've ever been on in my life. And what it is, is you, you get put in, you put, you get into this room and they strap on this chest piece, a head, uh, a headset with a visor and uh, headphones that go on. Just like a loyalty center. Exactly. <laughs> and then you get uh, these hand, these gloves, and that's it. And then you walk into this big square room and then that you're on a platform and the platform can move depending on what's happening in the game. But also the game, it, it's such a big open space that you can move through this, this open space, but you think you're like in a hallway. So you'll follow this path. And then, but you're really just like two people like walking past each other. And there are things like they, they had things that you can grab in, in real life, you're really grabbing something, but in the video game, it was a torch that was on fire. It was really wild. And then there's wind machines that we were like on a plane and the, you could feel the wind on your face. So what happens is VR, just having the headset is not enough. You need to have the other senses activated to really immerse you into the experience. And once those are put into the uh, technology as well, it will make it revolutionary. And also what's really cool about like upgrades in this film with these characters and, and their avatars and in the Oasis, obviously Parzival and, you know, H, they're very good Oasis players and Gunters. And you can tell they have amassed an enormous uh, credits or in fortune. Obviously, they're not super wealthy, but they can afford things like like Parzival has that or Wade has that treadmill inside that trailer, that van. And he's got like the wires that hook him up. He's got gloves. He's got a pretty good headset and everything, too, whereas people who are not as good as him at the Oasis and at the game and don't gunt as much as him, they don't have anything like that. They're just like in their living room, like punching the air, but yeah. him, he has his own space. They're like the... falling off the couch. Yeah, so yeah. he can do pretty much anything without worrying about the exterior around him in the real world affecting his gameplay. Yeah, I love that aspect of it. And I think my favorite sequence of this movie has to be the Shining Challenge. Oh, it's the best part. It's so much so, fun. So that's that's uh, challenge two. So yeah. they get the clue. And they have, to, and Artemis is actually the one who figures out that it has to be the Shining because on the date with Kira, uh, she wanted to go out, but they ended up staying home and watching The Shining, which is what Halliday was felt comfortable doing. It's his favorite movie too, yeah. I believe, right? Yeah. So it's his favorite horror. It's his favorite. It's one of his favorite movies. But the clue is also um, a creator who hates his creation. So Stephen yeah. King wrote The Shining, obviously, and hates the movie. Yeah, exactly. And Spielberg's. And this is not in the book, though, right? It's something else in the book, I believe. Uh, I haven't this, read it in a few years. Yeah, it's not The Shining, I'm pretty sure. So in, in the book, it's actually War Games, the Matthew Broderick movie. But I think that Spielberg, he's such a brilliant director. He understands, I need to do something visually dynamic and stunning and surprising. And uh, you have the ability to do anything. Plus, The Shining is way more popular. Yeah, but also, you, you can do anything. And War Games is like, it's, it's a good movie, but like nobody knows it. Really. And also, he was great friends with Stanley Kubrick. Very good friends. 
And so I think that he was like, and it was a no-brainer, like, let's do this entire sequence in the, sh the world of the Shining movie. And so it's fun. so brilliant. I love the recreation of all the sets and how he changed things like Jack with the axe is like a giant when he's attacking all the, the employees when they're yeah. trying to go through the maze. And the best part about it, I think that whole sequence is we've all seen it. I'm sure we're watching this movie. Everyone's seen The Shining and they put on Ready Player One like, oh, my God, it's The Shining. I know all, all the things that happen. It. Mm -hmm. and, and despite all Gunters needing to have seen all pop culture and obviously The Shining is on Halliday's list that everyone knows of one of his all time favorite movies. H has always been too afraid to watch this movie, so H is in The Shining, and they're they're at the, the the typewriter trying to figure out which room the key could be inside. And H is like, "Hey, I've never seen The Shining. Is it scary?" And then I think it shows like I had to watch it through my fingers. <laughs> and so H follows the ball. He finds the little girls. He's like, "Little girls, how do you get out of here?" And then the elevator's about to open, and and Artemis in uh. Zero. She gets swarmed with flooded no, with blood. Get away from so yeah. because H doesn't know what's gonna happen. It's really exciting for us to watch her go through this experience. Also, the naked tub lady starts attacking her with a knife. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, gr it's great. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I think it works so much better because The Shining is still culturally popular. Oh yeah, it's, it's still there. It's so relevant, and it's such a, a piece of cinema history. I think Kubrick knew I have to do something that is Spielberg. a part of you know what, what did I say? You said Kubrick. I think Spielberg said. I need to do something that is really a part of the history of fin of cinema and film, and The Shining was a perfect choice. Yeah. Not that War Games isn't a cool movie, but, I mean, who listening to the podcast, I, I would say, what, less than half have seen War Games, probably? I've only seen it once. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty that. good. But So that's that's definitely uh, probably the funnest challenge, I think. I think you're probably right. Thanks. And that's where Artemis, you know, figures out that it's about taking the leap, you know, that she gets that first idea of because um, Wade doesn't take the leap to kiss her on that rooftop, and she's like, oh, I got it, which for Wade's like, oh, man, I'm, I'm such a loser He's now. He's about to. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was, but she gets the idea that it's about taking the leap, so she jumps on the ghost skeleton heads and, and asks for the dance and takes the leap to dance with Kira to get the next key and clue. I love Wade and, and Sam, you know, are in the real world after her, her guy kidnaps him. It, it's pretty You'd think that it was the IOI people, but it really was her With the face tattoo. Yeah, with the face tattoo. Yeah, because, you know, despite the Oasis, you know, it's, it seems like a safe place. You're not going to die in the Oasis. In the real world, stuff is happening. Like, dangerous things are happening to Wade. This is where Nolan Sorrento, after Wade says his name is Wade to Artemis at that club where IROC is tracking them and running surveillance on them. He says his name is Wade, and then after that sequence, after they escape, he's able to track down Wade because he purchased that expensive suit for the Oasis, and he's the only one in Columbus, Ohio, named Wade who purchased one. So, and that's when Sorrento goes and bombs his uh, trailer trailer tower. But at the same time, that that great scene you mentioned earlier on, where they're going back and forth, where Nolan supposedly is trying to recruit him to be to work for IOI with like a $6 million salary or something like that and $25 million bonus if he finds the egg. And despite the fact that Wade is Wade's just playing coy and he knows that he's got a room full of people talking into his ear saying like, oh, you know, when I want to chill out, I open up a tab. I put on, what is it, I, I play Ro Robotron, <laughs> something like that. So that's happening. But in the real world, he's going to try to kill Wade. Mm-hmm. So real real world consequences are happening to the characters despite in the in the oasis they seem to have the upper hand. And they also track Sam's crew because of the face tattoo of that guy. It's very it was easier for the drone to find. Bro, put a hat on. Yeah, come on, man. Uh, no problem. No, nothing against face tattoos, but you seem pretty conspicuous. But you know, this is something in movies I always get annoyed when they don't explain how the bad guys find the good guys in a the movie. They'll just show up at their location. It's like 
How do they find them? But I think that Spielberg knows we got to show how this happened. Despite how fast it happened. Yeah. It's like, oh, of course, a drone found him at a farmer's market getting carrots. Like, that was fast. Yeah, but there's got there's probably a ton of drones in that world. You got you to gotta move. You got to yeah. get the movie going. It's, it's like just enough where you accept it. You know what I mean? You don't question yeah. it. But and then Sam sacrifices herself to save Wade. She she gets Wade out, and then she allows herself to be taken to an IOI loyalty center, just like her father was. Ironically, so she's in a terrible situation, and Wade has to figure out how to get that third key. Now, since we're kind of going chronological order with the clue hunt and everything, the the Easter egg hunt, we might as well finish up with the final challenge and key. And so the final challenge actually IOI figures it out first, and they find it on Planet Doom, and it's that Atari game which has all the games that work for it so it's the atari 2600 which means it has i think it's like twenty six thousand games so there's thousands and thousands of possibilities of what game it could be and they assume they have to win whatever game it is in order to achieve the next crystal key which would mean it would lead you to the egg and so um they find it first in irock and nolan sorrento which they talked about earlier in the film in an early scene is he got him the orb of, orb of Asavox. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, Asavox. And so what this orb does is it creates a giant magic impenetrable shield around an environment. And so this is very clever by Nolan Sorrento to find the challenge and then create an impenetrable force field around the challenge so that no matter what, IOI are the only people that can access the challenge and they'll have to at some point figure it out and beat it. And this is just the big giant climax of the movie. It's so much fun because first the High Five crew shows up Oh, and also Artie got kidnapped. Too. Yeah, Artie got kidnapped. But in the in the real world, they're inside that van is trying to evade the IOI people chasing them down. So they're they're on the move. But during this gigantic sequence, you see all of these pop culture references. It's so much fun. You got like Godzilla. You got the Iron Giant. You got you see Freddy Krueger oh, yeah, going hand. Yeah, it's great because yeah, because uh, Parzival gets on basically a live stream for everyone to watch, and because he's a celebrity, everybody's tuning in. And it's being broadcast everywhere, and he tells them the situation. And it's like basically, if we don't fight, if you don't risk everything, if you don't rest, risk all of your credits, if you don't risk dying in the Oasis, we're going to lose the Oasis to Nolan Sorrento and IOI. So come with me and go to war on on Planet Doom. It's so much fun, and like when when Mecha Godzilla shows up and he's. <laughs> He starts fighting um the the robot that uh Daito and and the little kid make up. It's it's an amazing sequence. It's so much fun. Well, yeah, Nolan Sorrento's inside Mechagodzilla. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's a great sequence. And again, it's very clever by Nolan Sorrento, but also Artemis is just as clever because even though she was trapped inside the loyalty center chamber as a worker for them and saying those charges and everything, one of my favorite scenes is when H Parzival, Daito, and Show they hack into Sorrento's rig because Sorrento's so arrogant. He left his his um, password, password yeah. right on his his uh what would you station? I guess you would call. He's it. such a non techie. Yeah, and, and it's like Boss Man sixty nine is his, is his password. <laughs> but Wade, being clever, uh, memorized it when he had his first meeting with inside with him inside that uh, IOI office. But um, they hack into his IOI feed just as he was logging out, making him think that he's left the Oasis, but he's really stuck inside of his stuck inside the Oasis still. And they're, they're able to take advantage of him, able to hack into Artie's rig. But after she gets hacked out of it, she goes back in and sneaks into, eventually sneaks into Sorrento's office so that she can take down the orb of Asavox, Aravox, 
take down the orb from yeah. inside because that's the only way you can take it down. Yeah, and that that works. And then they do end up destroying Mecha Godzilla and taking uh, Nolan out of the game. But just as Wade is looks like he's about to reach the point, uh, Irock shows up with the the bomb, and that bomb sets off and it kills everybody. Well, he he doesn't think Nolan's going to actually use yeah. it because as IOI is going through the Atari, they are going through all the games, but one of the play one of the that the redhead girl, she figures out that it has to be adventure because adventure yeah. has the the first ever easter egg put inside of a video game by the person who created it. But they think that all they have to do is win it. So they the guy wins adventure, but he still falls through the ice. Yeah. But it was really the girl was trying to explain to him that afterwards it's not about winning it's about finding the easter egg and then after Nolan Sorrento destroys the oasis with that bomb which Irog doesn't think he was going to use but yeah. he does it anyway he's like no no I've you know how much I've saved up I've got 10 years worth of coin in here <laughs> he destroys everybody in the oasis on planet doom I think it destroyed everyone in the oasis in general Every, yeah everyone, so everyone in the, the oasis back to the zero. entire system but what Parsifal didn't realize is that when he won that bet against the curator when he says that Kira's name is only brought up once in the holiday journals in the entire archive, he lost the bet to, to the Curator. He got that coin, he didn't realize it was an extra life. And yeah. so he's able to play Adventure, and he wins Adventure by, or he wins the challenge by finding the Easter egg in Adventure and showing it, and that opens it opens up the opens up the challenge, and he gets the crystal key while being attacked at the same time. Yeah, and then again, we go back to that contract scene where he rejects the contract, which was the final test that Halliday put into the contest. And I love the next scene. It's really great because it's, um, we're inside Halliday's childhood bedroom, and his him as a child is there. But this is different because even though they're inside the Oasis, it seems like reality. It's not CGI. It's not yeah. CGI. And even Halliday at this point, it, I think Parzival or, or Wade at this point is realizing, you know, there's something different about you. You're not just like an avatar. You're not like something that was pre-recorded or pre-programmed. You're like something beyond that. Is there more to you like what exactly are you are, are you like a, an uploaded consciousness but um Halliday doesn't answer that question at when he asks it I think he definitely uploaded himself into the game for sure 100%. absolutely which is really cool which but, is what Zuckerberg's gonna do <laughs> he probably already did <laughs> I mean that hearing he's like have you ever seen the hearing he was at where he's like oh, drinking yeah. water but with the robot sound effects yeah. there's no, so, no, there's robot so many, <laughs> there are great videos where it's him at that hearing it was from like last year uh, and he's like someone put robot sound effects of like when he turns his head it's like <laughs> 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 <And> then, <laughs> there's like Terminator noises, like when he looks at each person and nods, like. Zzz, zzz, zzz. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my god! I gotta show this. you after this. I have to see this. Google That's it on. So look it up on YouTube, everybody. Zuckerberg oh hearing robot voices. It's it's so funny. It was painful watching him act in the meta commercial. Yeah, it was so painful. <laughs> he's getting better at acting, but it's still for awkward. a robot. For a robot, he's pretty good. <laughs> But yeah, this is where Wade gets the crystal key and he gets control of the Oasis. And it's it's kind of cool because it's like he's he's getting the honor of controlling the Oasis and Halliday. You know, you've passed the real test of refusing the contract and you, you deserve it. And, you know, it's like handing the torch off to him. Yeah, it's like if, if Zuckerberg gave it to like a decent person. Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then Nolan Sorrento goes crazy, like straight up murder and like wants to kill Parzival and gets them at gunpoint but doesn't shoot. But there's this one part about that scene that I don't like when he has Pars when he has Wade at gunpoint and then he sees the golden egg inside Wade's hands and his hands are glowing up even inside the van from the lights of it. 
And he kind of like looks at him and smiles like, oh, wow, I'm actually like glad that he got it. I kind of don't really love that moment because I think Nolan works best is just a straight up villain. I don't want to feel any empathy towards him at all. I understand why they do it. Like it's very common for our villains to have empathy now. You, you know, you want to feel with them. But I think it's just better to have a straight up baddie rather than even a moment like that. Even though he has him at gunpoint, he like smiles. and He's like kind of gratefully got it. Yeah, it's like a moment of respect. And like he's kind of awestruck about Wade getting it also. I think also it's like. For Nolan, he put so much into finding the egg and so many resources into it. I think he's kind of so shocked that just this kid on his own did it. And I think that's kind of that makes him feel like I can't kill this guy. Yeah. I can't kill him. For me, I think it's okay. But still, he tracked him down with a gun. Was yeah, gonna he was shoot literally him. about to blow his he was brains shoot out him in, front in, front of in front of 200 people. He was going to shoot a like, 15-year-old in yeah. the face. <laughs> and he's like, oh, actually, you're cool, man. <laughs> 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 but it's a great, great moment because then Wade finally kisses Artemis and he agrees with the, he's going to give control of it mutually to the rest of his clan, which is the right decision. And Ogden shows up. And he's been there the whole time. He's been the curator. So it's a really, really great moment. And he's like, he's like these are the people you really need. Lawyers. <laughs> I love the ending of this movie. I think it's a really excellent ending. It's perfect. Yeah. Like we talked about where now they have control of it and IOI loyalty centers are shut down. And also, the Oasis closes on Tuesdays and Thursdays so that Wade can make out with his girlfriend. He's got a girlfriend now. Let's go. Let's go, Wade. He's got a nice apartment, too. That yeah, place is sick. That's pretty sweet. It's nice loft. Rad loft. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's Ready Player One. Do you want to do some trivia? Hold on. Let me see. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I think we got I everything. I all my Pretty much, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just sad. That's pretty just, good. I love this movie. This movie's a lot of it's fun. It's really good. Let's do some, uh, some, do some trivia, playa. Let's do it. Oh, so this movie... It has a 64 Metascore, 7.4 IMDb user rating, and then on Rotten Tomatoes, 72%, I believe. Oh, 72%. I think it's way better than that. Yeah, but I think, again, I think the con... Older, would, I think older critics don't understand the, it. I think the con would be if you don't know all the references, you might might not like it. And also, I think a lot of older critics aren't into entire films of CGI unless yeah. it's like Avatar where it looks like groundbreaking. Not that the visual effects aren't incredible, which they are, but like you said, it's like a video game at times. I just rated it a 9 on IMDb. Nice, dude. Just now. I'd give it, yeah, probably an 8.5 or 9, something like that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Okay, let's do some fun facts. Oh, this is a good one. The Zemeckis Cube is named after director Robert Zemeckis. When the cube is activated, you can hear the music playing is from Back to the Future. Alan Silvestri composed both the score for this film and the Back to the Future trilogy. And the Zemeckis Cube is when Wade Watts uses it to reverse time for 60 seconds after they get attacked. In Ready Player One, Artemis has two references to the film Alien in Aliens. So she uses the M41A pulse rifle from Aliens as her weapon of choice in the Oasis. And also she does the chestburster scare on Wade Watts Parsifal inside the Oasis through her suit. Oasis is actually an acronym. It stands for Ontologically Anthropocentric Sensory Immersive Simulation. This is mentioned in the, nor in the source novel but not mentioned in the film. During the club scene, when Parsifal and Artemis meet, you can briefly see Commander Shepard from Mass Effect awkwardly dancing in the background. This is ironic considering in the actual game Mass Effect, it's a running joke that Shepard can't dance at all. That's one of my favorite games ever. It's Mass a great Effect game. Is sick. Yeah. 
Alright everybody, thank you so much for tuning in to our episode of Ready Player One. We really hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to become a patron today at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast because now you are our employers. You're our bosses yeah, you're now, our boss. which is pretty incredible. Make sure to stay tuned for our online masterclass podcast course, which anyone can sign up for. It's going to be a lot of fun, tons of great content. You learn all the secrets behind the show. But really, thank you so much for tuning in around the, sh- around the world. Really appreciate it. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.